This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. You glad to be here today? Did you come here to worship? Are you here as a spectator or as a participant? We shall see. I hope you're right. I'm glad to be at GYC again. What a fabulous convention. I want to thank God and commend the leadership of GYC for being relentlessly Christ-focused, for being unapologetically biblical, for being consistently mission-focused, and for being unashamedly supportive of the teachings and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I don't understand why there aren't more people here at GYC, apart from the fact that we couldn't get any more people in this room. I don't know who would not be blessed by being at GYC. Well, I can imagine. I can imagine actually one group of people that would not be blessed at GYC. Dead people. <laughs> but if you have a pulse, then I would encourage you to be part of GYC. Not an event, not an experience, but a life of commitment to Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to begin with praying. By praying, if you don't mind, and I don't suppose you do, Let's pray and expect God to bless us over these next few minutes, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we've been blessed already today powerfully. We've been transported into the throne room of the heavenly sanctuary on the wings of prayer. We have been moved by music that left me convinced that angels were singing with our singers and playing alongside our players. And now, Lord, we come to this place where we open your word and we appeal to you to speak. I pray that you would not permit the limitations of fallen humanity to frustrate either the proclamation or the reception of your word. You know our needs and we trust you with them. So Lord, speak and be heard. Bless us with your transforming, saving grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Please say, Amen. Amen. In 1944, a ship loaded with explosives ran aground in the River Thames 
just downstream a few miles from London, just offshore from the town of Sheerness. It's still there today, which is perhaps uh, credit to divine intervention. The ship was one of many Liberty ships, 2,710 of them in all, built during World War II. They were essentially cargo ships. And by and large, they took stuff from the United States to Europe. And during World War II, there was a lot of action in Europe. This one was to take 1,500 tons of high explosives to Normandy. It stopped off in London, well, downstream from London. But things didn't go right. The ship ran aground. They tried to salvage it, but wait a moment. Here it was now resting on the bottom of the Thames, loaded with 1,500 tons of explosives. And the fear was that if they monkeyed with the ship, boom, the ship would be no more. And that would be a problem because if the ship was no more, then a column of water 300 feet wide would shoot 10,000 feet into the air. Every window in Sheerness would be destroyed. A great wave would inundate the place. And as for the people who tried to remove the explosives, well, they would be seen no more. What do we do with a boat full of explosives? It was decided we do nothing with it at all. We leave it right where it is. And so today, you could travel to Sheerness in England, and you would see a little off the shore, off the river's edge, some boys. We call them boys in civilized countries. Buoys here, but they're boys. <laughs> you would see some boys and some signs, and the signs would say, danger, explosives, stay away. You can even see the masts of the ship. It was the SS Richard Montgomery poking up out of the water. A testament to the fact that beneath the water there is a lot of power, real power, explosive energy, untapped, just sitting there, latent. And no one wants to go near it. I have wondered if the church might not be a little bit like the wreckage of the SS Richard Montgomery. Perhaps there's a vast, untapped reservoir of energy sitting idle with the enormous potential to impact the world and launch devastation upon the kingdom of the enemy of souls. God, friend, is looking to unleash His power. He wants to unleash it upon you and through you. Our place in history right now hears witnesses God calling to His people to light up the world like fireworks light up the night sky. We are going to take a moment to look into the Bible and see God's power on display. Open your Bible with me, please, to the third chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends had experienced the highs and lows of faith. They were believers, but they were taken from their homes and families and marched across a barren desert to a foreign land, a pagan country, fed inedible food, pressed into service as slaves, their masculinity violated. But these boys were not afraid to stick their necks out. They could have compromised, but they would not even though they knew that their faithfulness would likely lead to their demise. Instead, they stayed true to God, and as a result, they thrived. 
promoted to serve in the inner circle of a monarch, but then owing to the chicanery of others, an executioner was sent to dispatch them. Daniel and his friends were only moments from cooling to room temperature when they asked for time to interpret the king's dream. And when they did, they were elevated again. When they were challenged, they met their challenge with faith unshakable. And God came through for them. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 3, three of them are commanded to bow down to an image and worship it. And when that happened, they knew exactly what they were to do. Their inspirational leader, a prophet no less, was not with them. If ever there was a time to compromise, this was that time. And it would not have been hard. When you hear the music, bow down. But they would not. They squared off with the king and they said, O oh, king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. They were not being smart, Alex. They had simply settled it in their heart that they would be faithful to God irrespective of circumstance. Our God, should he choose to do so, is able to save us from out of the fiery furnace. But king, it must be known by you that even if God does not save us, we're still not going to bow down. The king was enraged. Let him burn, the king said. Now, you've heard this story so many times that you think now it's just a bedtime story. Funny, isn't it, the bedtime stories we tell our children? And then a lion was going to tear him limb from limb and eat him up. <laughs> Sleep tight. We're familiar with the story. Oh, they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Oh, whatever. No, 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 wait a minute. This was, this was life and death. And these three young people chose execution over existence. And think about their experience. They had fought and scrapped and scraped and prayed and trusted God and kept their heads down and hoped that one day they'd be reunited with whatever was left of their families and that one day they would see beautiful Jerusalem again and now, they would die young in a foreign land owing to the whim of a megalomaniac. But you know how the story ends. Daniel 3, verse 23. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Ah, but the king was astonished. Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Yes, sir. Well, wait. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of them is as the form of the Son of God, or is like one of the sons of God. How did he know what a son of the gods looked like? How did he know that this was the Son of God? He had seen Christ in the person of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Ah, I've seen this one before. He is their leader, their guide. This is their God. He has shown up with them in the fire at a time of unthinkable difficulty, at a time of enormous pressure. They saw the power of God when they had no earthly support, no resources, when their wits 
couldn't help them. And their street smarts meant nothing. They made a stand. And in their extremity, when they made a stand, Christ stood with them. Come on and say amen today. And it's not the only stand Jesus makes in the book of Daniel. This year's convention has revolved around a certain theme, as conventions are wont to do. When all has been heard, or as the wise man said in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. He went on to say, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Because God will bring into judgment every work with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Since 1844, Christian friend, we have been living in the time of what we have come to refer to as the investigative judgment. Now, I know that this is a subject that is not fashionable in certain circles. But let me tell you this. If you care about being theologically fashionable, you will one day find yourself in the in-crowd crying out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! There are some who have little to say, or little that is positive to say, about this judgment. But you can deny it if you want to. The judgment is like gravity. Sooner or later, its impact is going to be felt on you. It's, it's a little bit like aging. You don't think it's affecting you until one day you look in the mirror and you say, there is evidence that I am not immune from this. We did not arrive at this place by accident. You know the story well. During the War of 1812 in the Battle of Plattsburgh on the banks of Lake Champlain, a farmer named William Miller saw bombs, rockets, and shrapnel shells falling as thick as hailstones. An explosion two feet away from him killed one man and injured others, but it left him unscathed. And this caused the deist William Miller to reconsider his position. He thought maybe, after all, there must be a personal God who does interfere in the experiences of humanity. And he was led on a search to rediscover his Baptist faith. His search led him into God's Word, and eventually he found his way to the book of Daniel. Daniel 8 and verse 14, where he read, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Like at least 65 other Bible expositors on at least four continents between 1800 and 1844, Miller believed that the 2,300-day year period would be fulfilled sometime between 1843 and 1847. But Miller believed that the prophecy taught Jesus was coming back to the earth. They didn't all teach that. And Miller believed it was going to happen in 1843. And he had Good reason to think this way. The signs indicated that the return of Jesus was imminent. Matthew 24 and verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give a light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
The dark day happened in 1790. The falling of the stars, 1833. An earthquake in Portugal in 1755 had 35 times the amount of energy contained in the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. If that earthquake had hit Los Angeles, it would have destroyed San Francisco and shaken Chicago. It was a monster. These were signs to the world that something was going on. And those who were studying the Bible recognized, yes, there's something all right. The return of Jesus. We are getting closer. Miller said, that's what it is. The sanctuary is being cleansed. Christ will return. Except, of course, the Baptist. What was, what was his denominational affiliation? Could you, could you say that again a little louder? Baptist. Did we agree he was a Baptist? I heard about a hundred people agree that he was a Baptist. William Miller was a what? Baptist. Can you say it for the world to hear? Baptist. There we go. Seventh-day Adventists get blamed for Miller's mistake. Let me be quite frank with you. That friend was a Baptist mistake. It was not a Seventh-day Adventist mistake. <laughs> credit where credit is due. Adventists have made plenty of mistakes. 1843 and 1844 were not a Seventh-day Adventist mistake. There's enough credit to go around here. The Baptist William Miller was wrong. Jesus did not come back in 1843 or 1844, and the disappointment was great, not only for Miller, but for those who followed him, the thousands. The hope of Jesus' return was sweet in the mouth. Like the prophecy in Revelation 10 said it would be sweet, sweet as honey, sweet as manuka honey from New Zealand. So sweet. But the disappointment was bitter in their bellies. Bitter. So bitter. Hiram Edson said, we wept and wept until the day dawned. Bitter isn't a lot of fun. A few years ago, my wife and children discovered that everything they were eating was bitter in their mouth. Everything, even water that they drank. They tried sugar. Sugar was bitter. They made some inquiries. They had pine nut syndrome. A bad batch of pine nuts imported from China left them with a bitterness in their mouth that might last them for two weeks. As it was, it lasted them for one week. That was one day that Dad was really, really glad he was out of town. <laughs> bitter is bitter. But imagine the bitterness of waiting, believing Jesus is coming back tonight. I'll tell you something. These people believed, didn't they? They closed their shops. They left their crops in the ground. They gave stuff away. Do we believe Jesus is coming back? Oh, yes, we don't. We say we do. And we certainly do to, an, to, an, to, to, to a certain extent. But these people believed. And they were wrong. But you know something. God has brought glorious things out of mistakes before. Jesus told the disciples again and again he was going to be killed. And when he was crucified, they looked at each other and they said, What in the world happened? Jesus tried to impress upon his friends the spiritual nature of his kingdom. And as far down as the first chapter of the book of Acts, his friends are asking him if he is going to restore his kingdom now. Jesus works best with faulty people. As a matter of fact, 
Jesus only works with faulty people. He would bring something glorious out of this mistake. Jesus did not come back in 1844, but God had plain counsel for the disappointed. Revelation 10, verse 11, he said to me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations <clears throat> and tongues and kings. They went back to the Word of God and they discovered, no, Christ wasn't coming back. But he entered the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to begin his final work of judgment. The, the phase of his ministry involving the blotting out of sins and the cleansing of both the sanctuary and individual believers. Revelation 14, 7 was now in play. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come. Judgment had come. Ellen White wrote in the great controversy, the subject of the sanctuary opened to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious, showing that God's hand had directed the great Advent movement <clears throat> and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people. Prophesy again. This wasn't Christ's return. We must tell the world this is judgment. You know, friend, there are some things that Satan does not want you to know. The subject of the sanctuary in Christ's high priestly ministry is one he attacks relentlessly. In the judgment, there is a priest in heaven for you, according to the Bible, not against you. The judgment says, I may have made a mess, but Jesus is on my side. Judgment says, I may be weak, but Christ is strong. Judgment says, even though I'm down, I'm not out, because what a friend we have in Jesus. Listen, friend, when I say the name William Miller, you think 2,300 days. You think great disappointment, and you are doing him a disservice. It's true he drilled way down into Daniel 8 and verse 14. But Miller said this. He said, the Scriptures became my delight, and in Jesus I found a friend. Bible study for Miller was more than an exercise with his abacus. Miller found a friend in Jesus. Have you done that? Studying the Bible, Miller found a friend, someone he could trust. The Christ of the judgment is the friend of sinners. But Satan doesn't want you to know that. He does not want you to know that you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Yes, you, not just the people in the choir, not just those folks up front, not just the people that the nominating committee sentenced to a position in the church, but you can find grace to help in time of need. Devil doesn't want you knowing that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is in heaven now, appearing in the presence of God for us. It cannot get any better than that. Satan doesn't want you to know it's good news. You say, what is this judgment? What is it? Listen, it's an audit. That's all it is. When your name comes up in the judgment, Jesus is not going to wring his hands and scratch his head and, and tap his chin and say, mm, what do we do with her? What do we do with him? 
In the judgment, Jesus just looks at the evidence and says, this one claimed me. This one died saved or lived saved. I'll honor that. This one turned her back, turned his back. I have no choice but to honor that. The judgment is simply Jesus honoring the decisions that you have made for him or against him. That's all. It's no more mysterious than that. Here on the eve of a brand new year, there is a call to God's people. The pioneers have bequeathed to us a sacred legacy. It's bound up in that other stand Jesus made in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 3, Jesus stood. He stood with those three young men. In Daniel 7 and verse 9, the ancient of days sat. Judgment began. In Daniel 12 and verse 1, Michael, Jesus, stands. Judgment ends. The high priestly ministry of Jesus is over. Some years ago, the noted and respected, the great evangelist and church administrator Charles Bradford wrote a book for the Ministerial Association called Preaching to the Times. In that book, Bradford said that we need to hear more sermons about such things as living in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. That's what he said. Think about that. When judgment is over, Jesus takes off his high priestly robes, leaves the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, and journeys to heaven. There is silence in heaven. There is no mediator there. None. God's people for a time will live on this earth in the sight of God without a mediator. Consider that. We've been told, great controversy, page 425, those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. But we've quit preaching about that. And Bradford knew it. That's why he wrote it. We don't want to say too much about that anymore. Living in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Is that a call to holiness? Yes, it is. Is it a call to righteousness? Yes, it is. It is a call to heavy-duty surrender to the will and to the presence of Jesus Christ. This is not playing church. You can cut it any old way you want, but one day, sooner or later, Jesus is going to say, ready or not, here I come. He will leave heaven and come back here to this earth, which means... This time is preparation time. Maybe some of us don't want to make that kind of preparation. Maybe we love the world too much. Maybe sin has a great hold on us. Or maybe our God is so small, we don't believe that He can truly attach our heart to His. One day soon, Jesus leaves the sanctuary. There is no mediator. Man, this is good news. This is an opportunity here. And there are some opportunities that are just too good to miss. The fellow who, who started Apple Computer was a man named Steve Jobs. Now, but wait. Steve Jobs started Apple with another fellow whose name was Steve Wozniak. But wait, there's more. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak founded Apple Computer with a third guy whose name was... Exactly. This man 
wrote the manual for the Apple One computer. This man designed the logo. This man drew up the partnership agreement, and at the beginning, Apple was a partnership. But two weeks after the partnership was formed, Ron Wayne sold his 10% share in Apple computer for $800. If he sold it yesterday, he would have made $65 billion. $800 or $65 billion? He says he doesn't regret it. I say he's lying. <laughs> Man, that was an opportunity, wasn't it? And okay, it's only money. But it makes the point that some opportunities you don't want to pass up. And God is presenting you with one right now. An opportunity that is too good to miss. An opportunity to live for Him to the extent that you are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit and remade in the image of God. What an opportunity to see the power of God. This is going to be like being in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and your hair is not even being singed. Wow! A theater for the universe, demonstrating the power and the goodness of Almighty God. Amen. And don't you, don't you love to see power? Man, I was excited when my son discovered the awesomeness of explosions. Then we could do some stuff. Involving a potato cannon and, and, a, and a, uh, a target that we had set on fire and a projectile full of flammable liquid and an iPhone videoing the whole thing. We even told my wife about it after we'd done it. <laughs> awesome. Showed her the video. There's something cool about witnessing power. And God is calling you to allow the universe to witness His power in and through your life on a scale that has never been seen before. The power of God to transform a life, a life that speaks of God's goodness and love. Friend, when it comes to this thing, we don't need any more theory. We already have all we need. We can debate, agitate, abnegate, abrogate, denigrate, obfuscate, vacillate, and pontificate, but none of that will help. We need to let God's Spirit operate. Let His Word illuminate. If you will consecrate your life to God, the universe will see what the power of God really looks like in the life of a sinner. Now, before you panic, when we're talking about living in the sight of God without a mediator, and right now there are some people panicking. We are not assuming the responsibility for our own salvation. The end of Jesus' ministry in the sanctuary doesn't coincide with the death of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Spirit of God is alive and well. Amen. God's people will be kept then the same way they are kept now, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been told that God's people will be sealed with the seal of God, a settling into truth both intellectually and spiritually, so that they cannot be moved. Man, we want that, don't we? Yes, we do. We want that. Higher than the highest human thought can think is God's ideal for His people. Godliness, Godlikeness is the goal to be reached. The plan of salvation contemplates our complete recovery 
from the power of salvation. Hallelujah. I have a friend whose 16-year-old daughter is in hospital right now. And he wishes, they wish, she was out. She'll get out. She's going to recover. God is great and he is still the great physician. They want to see a complete recovery. Pray for Amy, would you? A complete recovery. And this is what the plan of salvation involves for us. Complete recovery from the power of Satan. How? Through the power of God. God is calling his people to be sui generis, one of a kind, unique, the 144,000. Now listen, Christian friend, listen to me. There's a real danger we face here. For when we talk about getting serious about salvation, very often all you need to do is listen. And that whooshing sound you hear is the sound of well-intentioned people hurtling into legalism. And they rush into it like lemmings following each other off a cliff. God does not want us to be any more legalistic. I'll be holier if I could only eat the right amount of almonds. All right? I will please God if I can look just slightly more Amish than I do. God will be satisfied if I recommit to my vow of misery, the one I took when I was baptized. No, man, that's not it. The devil wants you to think that a commitment to God is a commitment to self-righteousness. It's exactly the opposite. It is a commitment to Christ's righteousness. God does not want you coming to Him making promises. God wants you coming to Him believing the promises that He has made to you. And when we get it right side up, nothing's going to stop us from leaving this earth in glory. Praise the Lord. You can live however you want, but let your lifestyle be an expression of your love for God, not an attempt to earn the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. But God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give or bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, where? In earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of who? Tell me now. Of God. And not of us. Listen to what Malachi wrote with direct reference to the judgment. Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall, shudden, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of his covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. You can hear Handel's Messiah, can you not? And purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God himself is committed to preparing you for eternity. You just got to sign up and say, God, do your thing. The refiner's fire is intended to make metal purer. Fuller's soap makes things cleaner. The purifier of gold and silver starts with something precious and by dint of the purification process makes it more precious. God's intention is to make you so precious you will be a jewel in His crown.
God refines. God cleanses. It matters not where you've been. Once you fix your eyes on Jesus, it's all about where you are going. How sinful has your life been? Oh, come on, get over yourself and look full in his wonderful face and believe that Jesus died for you, that Jesus can cleanse you, that Jesus can change you, that Jesus is coming back for you. One day, man, gravity is going to lose its power over the soles of your feet. You are going up. When Jesus leaves the heavenly sanctuary, you're not going to sweat. You're going to sing. You're going to praise. You are going to testify. This is only good news. And let me tell you something. If you're planning on going to heaven, you really ought to be planning on sharing your faith. This is one of the things that I so appreciate about GYC. This is a mission-oriented conference. Serve others. Serve God. You are robbing yourself of a precious experience when a life of service is not a, a, a key component of your life. Back in 1930, Percy T. McGann wrote to the president of General Conference, Elder W.A. Spicer, listen, W.K. Kellogg begged me to quit work and join him in the cornflakes company, which at that moment was in the process of organization. He offered me a block of stock, then $10,000 worth at par value. He wanted me to take charge of stock sales and offered me a commission of all I sold and give me a plan and so forth. That $10,000 today would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $1 million. And of course, trading on that, I would have made it probably three or $4 million. The offer was tempting. I looked it up. $4 million, a dollar then was worth $13.75 now. $4 million then is worth $55 million today. Would you be tempted by $55 million? I don't know if McGann was tempted, but he thought about it. He said he went out under the old oak tree at Berrien Springs and prayed all night long. He said, when my season of prayer was over, I was convinced that God had called me to make Adventists, not cornflakes. $55 million, man. He let it go for the privilege of serving God. That brother was committed to mission. Of course, you can be committed to mission in the business world. You can be filthy rich and be committed to mission. That's all right. But as you sit here today, you've got to be planning a future that involves serving God and sharing your faith, sharing your faith with somebody, anybody, everybody, whatever God can do. On Christmas Day in Augsburg, Germany, about 40 miles from Munich, 54,000 people were evacuated from their homes. They found as Occasionally, they do an unexploded bomb from World War II. There was so much power in that bomb that if people didn't get out of town, they'd have been blowed out of town. They left. That power had been sitting underground, untapped, unutilized, just waiting to go boom or waiting not to. Man, I wonder today, I really do. God has called us to an amazing calling, and He's given us power. I'm wondering if it's just sitting there buried in the earth, sitting on the bottom of the sea, or are we experiencing the truth that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? Listen to what Peter wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith 
unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Begotten of God, kept by the power of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the power of God. And when they did, a golden statue, 90 feet high, sat, forgotten on the plain of Dura. God's power was front and center. They went into those flames claiming the promises of God. Listen, man, claim the promises of God. Connect to God. Appeal to God. Lord, I might be rotten, but if you take me, I am connected to you. That's all right. And then let God work. They simply made a commitment. They could not save themselves from those flames. They said, God, we trust you. You do what you want, and we'll just trust you. Friend, we're living in the time of the judgment. Man, that's all right. This is a time to say, God, we trust you. One day Jesus is going to leave the heavenly sanctuary. There won't be a mediator there. Don't let your pulse quicken at the thought, other than the thought of the excitement of Jesus coming back. Lord, if you want to save me, save me. Come on now. Save me, Lord. You know, in recent times, coming up to the election, there were a lot of fake news stories. So many fake news stories, they made the news. Pope Francis endorses uh, uh, Donald Trump for president, this sort of thing. Uh, Hillary Clinton is selling weapons to ISIS. People believe those stories. Uh, those stories got like a, a million recognitions on Facebook. Can you believe it? Fake stories. People believing a lie. Today, friend, we can believe the truth. The truth is that God is love. The truth is that there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. The truth is that God's Word is alive. There is power in the Word of God to transform you and save you and keep you and to present you faultless before the throne of God. It, God is willing to do whatever He needs to do. And He's waiting for you, friends, simply to yield to Him. Man, this is good news. We are living close to the edge of eternity. God could have seen to it that you popped up on the world stage a thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, but here you are so that in your life the universe can see what God's power can really do. This is the best ride you've ever been on. Friend, how is it with you today? How is it with you and God? How is it? Are you experiencing that power? Do you want to experience that power? Have you given yourself over to God so that He can work in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure? Do me a favor. Please stand up right where you are. Just stand up right now. Stand up if you would. I need to speak to your heart. I know you've heard appeals at GYC already. So you can expect to hear another one. Listen very carefully. This is not general. If you arrived here today happy in Jesus, just stay where you are. But if you arrived here today not in Jesus, then you have to come forward right now. We're going we're gonna to see to it that you and Jesus get connected. If you've never given your heart to Christ, come forward right now. If you're living well outside the will of God and you've got to get right with God, this is the time to come. Don't wait. We don't have all day. Don't wait. Listen, specifically, if you've not ever been baptized, now is your chance. You're going to come forward right now, and you'll be committed to Christ, and you will make a decision right now. Must I come? Yes, you must. There is something powerful in coming forward and acting on a decision made. Come now. Don't wait. I'm not going to ask a singer to come out. I'm going to ask you to come forward. The choir is going to sing in a few moments after this appeal. Listen, friend, Christ is inviting you to give him your heart. Come forward. We have people waiting to meet you here that will pray with you, connect you with God, 
and you can leave this place knowing that you are God's child. Friend, are you ready to experience the power of God? God speaks. God speaks. God calls. He urges you to come. If you've not been baptized, I'm inviting you in Christ's stead to come forward and give your life to Christ in baptism. Meet me. God bless you, man. Meet me down here. There are others. They're coming now. If you've never given your life to Christ, come now. You don't want to leave today saying, oh, wonderful. I, I heard some theory about the power of God. You can leave this place saying, I signed up to experience the power of God and let God truly have my life. I'll wait. Listen to these words. Listen to this beautiful music and be encouraged and come and bring your heart to Jesus Christ while the song is sung. Come now. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.